Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So I know that a number of people in our church family here in the room, watching online, are are dealing with medical issues that they're gonna be dealing with over a period of time. And so there is a certain amount of stubbornness that is needed to persevere in that because they're for treatment. It's just like, man, I just, I can't face this. I wanna go for treatment. It's just like, man, I just, I can't face this. There's gonna be some days where you just don't wanna get out of bed. Don't wanna go to physical therapy. I mean, there's, there, so you're just gonna have to be stubborn and say, no, I'm, I'm persevering, I'm gonna press through this. So that's, that's a good kind of stubbornness. Bad kind of stubbornness is not wanting to go to the doctor in the first place when you're feeling bad. So that's, that's the kind of stubborn when it's like, yeah, I know something's wrong, I, I just don't wanna deal with it, don't wanna face it, and so that's, that's a bad kind of stubbornness. Stubbornness can be good or bad in our life of faith as well. Sometimes in our life of faith, we need to dig deep. I mean, when, when we come to faith in Jesus, that doesn't mean that everything is gonna go smoothly after that. If you had that impression, let me, I just wanna burst that bubble like right away because I don't want you to get disillusioned when life gets difficult. There, there are, certain things, vital things that God does for us that we cannot do for ourselves, as in washing us clean from our sins, we cannot do that for ourselves. But fighting the daily battles of life, fighting the battles of temptation, that God doesn't do that for us. And so we need to be stubborn. Sometimes we need to dig deep in order to, to, to face those and press through those battles. On the other hand, stubbornness can be very bad in our life of faith. When we resist God's word, when we know that he's drawing us to do something and we just refuse to be obedient, refuse to pursue him. And when we stubbornly resist God, the result is something like what happens when we refuse to go to the doctor. It results in spiritual disease, or dis-ease, and ultimately death. I mean, it results in our spiritual death in this life. If we, if we just resist God's call on our lives, it's gonna result in spiritual death and it's gonna result in eternal death and separation from, from him. It turns out that God has a stubborn streak too and in his case, it's, it's all good. So today we're gonna look at a real life example of God persistently pressing past the stubbornness of humans, which results in the best possible outcome for us. We're gonna see that in Romans chapter 10. If you would turn there with me, not Leviticus, Romans. And Romans, 
If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible close to you there on your seat if you're here in the room, or you can look it up on your devices there at home. Romans 10 is on page 1047 in those Bibles there at your seat. We're in season three of Romans. We started in January, and I've, I've said this. If you've not been with us, I've said before that season three is the densest part of Romans, and it's, it's got some of the heaviest theology, some of the heaviest, the, the most difficult things to wrap our heads around. And so what Paul is doing in these chapters, chapters 9 through 11, is he, he's doing a deep dive looking at the spiritual state of his people, the Jewish people, the people of, of Israel. And he's doing that partly because it's a personal issue to him, and we saw at the very beginning of chapter nine just Paul's deep grief. He's like, I'm just, I'm deeply grieved to the point where if I could, I would give up my own salvation. I'd give up my own relationship, my own connection with God if it would mean the salvation of my, my fellow people. So it's, it's deeply personal for him, but it's also the reason he's doing this deep dive is that he is defending the faithfulness of God. He's saying God is keeping his promises. It may not look on the outside like God is keeping his promise to work through his people because they're not being super cooperative, but God is faithful to his promises. So overview of where we're going today is we're gonna see a case study in the stubbornness of the people of Israel and it's gonna keep building for a while through this message. So it's I'm just gonna tell you up front, it's gonna get old after a while. Like you're, It's just heavy. It, this is heavy stuff. It's gonna just keep building and building. But there's a payoff at the end. So you gotta hang on. You gotta, you gotta stubbornly hang on and hang with me through this because I promise it will, it will pay off at the end. We ended last week with a declaration that there is one way of salvation. There is one way of being made right with God for everyone, no matter who you are, whether you're a Jewish person, non-Jewish, old, young, whatever part of the world you come from, there's one way of salvation. It's through Christ the Lord. We saw that in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 10. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where we ended last week. Now today, Paul shows us that God has provided everything needed for his chosen people, the Jews, to call on Jesus, to make this call. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everything's been provided to them, yet, they, for the most part, have not called on Jesus for that salvation as the one way of salvation offered. We'll see that as we read on here, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not 
all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Right, notice that that paragraph begins and ends with mention of belief and faith. And, and in the Greek, there, it's the same, same word. It's the same concept. So verse 14, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? Verse 17, faith, faith, belief, comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So recall that as we're studying through Romans, we're defining faith and belief as absolute trust. Okay, it is not just a cognitive exercise that now I've, I believe in something, I believe in some truth. It is, but belief affects every aspect of who we are. It affects our, our thoughts, it affects our affections, it affects our actions, our desires. I mean, that's the level of belief that we're talking about here. So it's not just as simple as saying, well, I just, I believe a set of doctrines. Paul actually equates faith with obedience from the very beginning of Romans. You may remember this, some of you who remember all the way back to January, Romans 1, verse five, we'll put this on the screen. We have received, Paul's talking about himself, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. So see how he's equating obedience and faith there. So again, faith, not just cognitive, it's about our actions. So. In Romans 10, verse 16, we see that the Jewish people have not obeyed, they have not believed the gospel, verse 16. But they, speaking of, of his people, the Jews, have not all obeyed the gospel by believing in it, by trusting in it. This reflects their stubbornness. And it, they're, they're showing their stubbornness because all of the necessary steps for someone to call on the name of the Lord in faith, God has accomplished. That's what Paul is describing in these verses. So God has sent beautiful feet with good news in verse 15. He's, he has sent those beautiful feet to preach the good news. In verse 14, he has sent someone to preach to them. How are they to hear without someone preaching? Well, he sent someone to, to preach. And, and how are they to hear if no one's preaching? Well, verse 14, I mean, they, they've heard because someone has brought the message to them, but they are stubborn in the face of all of this. And, and the point of this paragraph and this passage, and actually a huge point in all three of these chapters, is that God persists in grace in the face of our stubbornness. God persists in grace in the face of our human stubbornness. Okay, that's really what this, this paragraph is about. I realize, and, and some of you have heard this passage taught before as a missions passage, 
because it's making this case of like, hey, we're, you know, people are supposed to go and they're supposed to preach and people are supposed to hear. It, it's a good missions passage because all of these things describe what happens as we take the gospel to people who have not heard it. But this is not a missions passage because the, the context of these chapters is Paul saying God has been faithful to do what he said he would do. And the problem is that his people have not been faithful to receive what he has provided. Verse, verse 16 makes this not a missions passage. They have not obeyed the gospel. That's the point of this, is God's, God's made it clear, God's made it available, but they have not obeyed in their stubbornness. Having said all that, it's still okay to read this and say, hey, here's what we need to do in missions. And it's a good idea, and, and it's, it's good for us who Jesus has called to make disciples to say, hey, I wanna be the beautiful feet that is bringing, and, and you don't have to be a, a full-time vocational preacher to bring good news. I mean, wherever you are in your setting, the people that you have influence over, be the beautiful feet to bring the good news to them. But the point that Paul is really after here is that, that God is persistent, stubborn, if you will, in the face of our stubbornness to keep holding out grace. Last week, and, and, and to bring the word of Christ, last week we saw that salvation is not a matter of works, it's a matter of words. It's a matter, it's not a matter of works that we do, it's a matter of words that God has spoken to us, it's a matter of the word, Christ, who has come to us, and it's a matter of words that we embrace, that we internalize in our heart and then speak and confess with our mouth, the word of Christ. That is what salvation is about, trusting in the Lord, not in the law. So the word of Christ in verse 17, the faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ is the gospel. It is the good news that the penalty of your sin and my sin, Jesus has taken on himself. He has taken the weight of the wrong that you and I have done on his shoulders and he has carried that away from us and freed us from the burden of having to pay a debt that we could never pay. That is the good news. That is good news for the humble, not for the stubborn. Not for the stubborn who insist on doing it themselves. But basically what Paul is saying is here, okay, let's, let's give the Jewish people the benefit of the doubt, okay? Maybe the problem is that they haven't heard that's what he's working through in this period. Maybe the problem is that they haven't heard. And so he asks that question in verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Well, indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Paul is quoting here Psalm 19, verse four, which in its context, if you're familiar with that psalm, it's talking about general revelation. There's two types of revelation in the world that God has made known to us. There's general revelation that is available to everyone, and it is evident, Paul says, from creation. 
from, from what God has made. We, 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 we look at the intricacies and the, the mind-blowing way that nature interacts with itself and just the, it's just blows your mind. And we look at that and we say, there has to be an intelligence behind this that is bigger than, than we are. So that's general revelation. That's actually what Psalm 19 is talking about. But Paul uses this verse to talk about special revelation, which is the revelation that we cannot know just from looking at creation. It has to be communicated to us. It's, it's special revelation about who God is, how he has worked in our history, specifically how he has worked through the person and the saving work of, of Christ. So Paul's saying here that the word of Christ has gone to the ends of the world. How has that happened? Well, a couple of different ideas as, as you read commentaries. I'll just share with you the one that I think makes the most sense, makes the most sense to me, is that the word of Christ has gone throughout the earth at Paul's time through the presence of the Jewish people because the Jewish people were scattered throughout the known world and what do they take with them everywhere they go? They take their scriptures. They take their, their Torah. They take it, it's precious to them. And that word points to Christ. So he says, even as, as the Jewish people have been scattered, even if they don't internalize it and believe it themselves, they're still being, they're taking that light and that revelation throughout all the known world. So, so they have heard. And actually, it's, it's interesting, just a little side note here for, for you guys who geek out on this kind of thing. Paul is using, uh, he's quoting from each of the major divisions of the Hebrew scriptures as he goes through this argument. So he's just quoted from Psalms, which represents the writings. The, the scriptures are divided into three sections. So there's the, the Torah, the law, and the writings, and then the prophets, and so he's gonna quote from each one of those sections as he makes his argument of the fact that the truth about Christ, the word of Christ, has been made known to the Jewish people and yet they have not been able to wrap their spiritual heads around that. So they have heard, that's, that's the first question that he answers. Maybe the problem is that they haven't understood. So that's the next question he asks in verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, and now he's quoting from the Torah, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah, now he's quoting from the prophets, is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. He, Paul is quoting these scriptures to, to say, to talk about Gentiles who are finding God, non-Jewish people who are finding God, even while the Jewish people themselves are missing God. God says here in verse 19, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you jealous of those non-Jewish people. You'll wish that you were as close to me as they are. That, that's the idea here of, of making them jealous. And there's something really remarkable 
in the scripture that Paul is quoting here from Deuteronomy. So let me show you the whole verse here on, on the screen from Deuteronomy 32. So the right side of this is the, the quotation that we see in Romans, but there's a first part of it that's, that's pretty, pretty remarkable. God speaking, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So you see the clear parallels there that God is drawing. God, God says, you've made me jealous. Now I'm going to make you jealous. And God's people made him jealous right out of the gate as he brings them out of Egypt, as he frees them, and they're beginning their trek to the promised land. We talked about this last week with a golden calf. He says, you've made me jealous with your idols by turning from the true God and worshiping what is not a God. You, you may recall from Romans 1 that idolatry is the core sin. That, that Paul talks about, he identifies in this book. From Romans 1, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, God gets jealous when we turn our affections from the true God to a, a false God. And, and here's, here's what I find remarkable about that. Jealousy reflects vulnerability. Jealousy reflects that I really care about what these people think of me. I mean, jealousy is kind of like stubbornness, and it, it can be bad and it can be good, right? I mean, you can have somebody who is like, perpetually jealous because they're just so insecure that if their significant other even talks to somebody of the opposite gender, they're just like, you know, all up in arms. And that, that's not, that's a bad, that's an insecure kind of jealousy. But there's a healthy jealousy that says, if, if I'm in a committed relationship with someone and their affection should be reserved for me, it's not appropriate for them to take that affection and show it to somebody else. If I, if I went and, and Sherry sent me for her phone, which she does occasionally, as I send her for my phone, where is it? It's around the house here. And I picked up her phone and I saw that a text came in from some guy and there's like lovey-dovey emojis and like kissy face stuff like that. I'm going, that's not right. We're having a chat. We're, we're gonna sit down and have a chat about that. Or if she saw that on my phone, she, we should be having a chat. Like that's not Right, there's, a, there's an affection that is reserved for us because we've committed to each other. And God here is seeing his people from the vantage point of a jilted lover. God cares so much and loves his people so much, he says, this isn't right. I'm, I'm, I'm you've made me jealous because of the way you're going after and you're taking your affection to someone that you shouldn't be taking it to. So he says, I'll make you jealous. I'm gonna show my affection to others in the hopes, and we'll see this as, as season three continues to unfold, in the hopes that you'll come running to me. He, he wants his people to be jealous so that they would want 
the love and the care and the affection that God is showing to the Gentile people. And God does not give up. He says, I, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, verse 19, with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So we, we don't deserve him continuing to come after us, but God persists in grace, in the face of our stubbornness. And, and I wanna just pause here for a second and say before we are tempted to shake our finger at the Jewish people and kind of look down our nose, we, we should really recognize that throughout all of the, the Hebrew scriptures, that what is recorded there about the Jewish people is a case study that really expands and applies to all of humanity. I mean, every, every one of us has turned away from God. I mean, Isaiah 53, six says this, all we like sheep, every one of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. We all stubbornly choose our own way. So this ultimately is not just about the Jewish people, although Paul is, is zeroing in on that and it is very much about that, but it also applies to all of us and to all of our stubbornness that God is so kind to keep persisting stubbornly, if you will, in the face of our stubbornness. And then Paul closes with this beautiful, beautiful picture of God's persistent kindness in verse 21. Here's the payoff that I told you. I told you it was coming, all right, verse 21. But of Israel, God says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long. Even though God's chosen people are stubbornly disobedient and contrary, God is persistent in his grace. All day long, I have held out my hands. I want you to envision this for a moment, and maybe you even wanna close your eyes and envision this. When, when someone is holding out their hands, what does that posture communicate? You can actually say it out loud. Hopefully somebody will hit it. Welcoming, yeah. Surrender, invitation, vulnerability, yes. Yes, the posture of holding out our hands communicates invitation, come, I, I, I wanna embrace you. And it also communicates vulnerability, surrender. It's just an openness. When, when, when we wanna protect ourselves, we cross our arms. Right? We're, we're protecting our vital organs from somebody attacking us. But when we open our arms up, we open ourselves to, to being hurt. <laughs> Just like God is able to be jealous, he's able to be hurt in, in being jealous. And he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to this disobedient and contrary people, even though they are stubborn. In the face of our stubbornness, God persists in his grace. And so this was said, this is Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus. All day long, all 700 years, God is holding out his hands 
And then God puts on human flesh so that he can come and hold out his hands on a cross in ultimate vulnerability, in ultimate invitation. In, in that moment, ultimately rejected, mocked, spurned by his creation, and yet he's holding out his hands all day long to offer undeserved grace. We're gonna remember that and celebrate that in just a few moments in communion. But here's the vital message this morning to, to any stubborn hearts that are listening. If you're here in the room, if you're listening online, if you're listening later on a podcast, here's the vital message that we need to understand from this very encouraging verse is all day long I've held up my hands, but every day comes to an end. And God will not hold out his hands forever. God has a track record of patience and then warning, but then comes judgment. God did this with his, his people already, his people Israel. He, he had incredible patience for them to, to come back to him. He sent prophets to them to say, come, come back, repent. And they refused, they refused, they refused. They were stubborn, they were stubborn. And finally, the day ended and he didn't hold out his hands in invitation anymore. He scattered them and he sent them into exile. And he said, you, you won't be a nation anymore. Here's what we need to understand if we have stubborn hearts today, Jewish or non-Jewish, is that every day comes to an end. And there's a point where our stubbornness becomes irreversible. These are Jesus' words as he was approaching Jerusalem to make that sacrifice that eternal sacrifice. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. This is the heart of God for his people. This is the heart of God for us. I wanna protect you from the brokenness of the world. I wanna protect you from the destructiveness of sin. How often would I have gathered you together but you were not willing? See, your house is left to you desolate. The word of Christ has gone out to the end of the earth. Beautiful feet have carried good news and you've heard it. You, you've heard it. Today. We, we could spend time talking about the people who haven't heard, and that's a, a valid conversation to have, but right now here today, you've, you've heard it, even if you've never heard it before. The question is, how will you respond? Will you believe? Will you have faith? Will you put absolute trust in the one source of salvation and connection that, that is 
in connection with God, that is Christ, the Lord. There's only one available option. So will you receive that? Will you believe it? Will you put all of your trust, not just part of it, not just um, I'll believe in Jesus, but I'm also gonna work as hard as I can? Your, your, your work does not help you along. That, that, that means you've divided your heart. <laughs> you, you need your whole heart placing your trust in Jesus and then work for him, but don't work for your salvation because that doesn't work. Salvation by works doesn't work. Will you receive his invitation? He's holding out his hands to you. Receive it today. Can I just implore you? We're gonna, we're gonna sing here in a moment. Then we're gonna take communion. You have opportunity here over these next moments to reflect on the things that we've talked about and to reflect on things that maybe you've been hearing for years, but you have never surrendered your whole heart to it. Maybe you've been afraid to do that. God, God has made himself vulnerable for you. There's nothing to fear from him. All he offers is grace. Just know that the invitation has an expiration. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible grace that persists past our stubbornness. In the face of our stubbornness, you continue to hold out your hands of invitation to us all day long. Lord, we don't wanna take that for granted. We wanna recognize and in respect to you, recognize that every day comes to an end and that your invitation does have an expiration. I pray for the soul that is listening right now, who maybe their heart is pounding and they're recognizing that you're speaking to, to them and you are drawing them. Lord, would you give them the courage to lay down whatever defenses, whatever fears have kept them from putting absolute trust in the person of Christ and may today be their day to call on you because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Thank you for that, in Jesus' name.